G'day punters, welcome to the deep dive. Pistol Pete, myself, Shay Shelio, Mark Roden, and a little bit later on, uh, Josh, Casey, Kavanagh, owner of uh, Bravo Tango, which uh, for Mitchie Friedman, in a uh, very uh, greying up experience for all of us, we were on the horse that it just got over top off late, but I, I helped Mitch buy it, so and a bunch of my mates got in it, so after I settled down, I was happy for them. Um, that also looks like it's half smart. Um, where do we want to start? Positive, positive, false, false, positive uh, equals what? And should they be telling you about it before you make bang decisions? Or should we skip that? <laughs> like, well, like the rest of the industry has. Oh, I'm happy to make um, some commentary on it. Um, Zaki tested positive to Butte or whatever it was, which is just a standard anti-inflammatory sort of product, pain-killing product, whatever you call it, that's um, used in every racing stable and was administered a day later than usual. Um, I think I think if you're going to throw around like aspersions on social media and stuff that it equals like cheating, I'm not too keen on that sort of narrative. Um, I was more interested in how it was probably handled, really. In, out, $7,000 fine, shush, let's roll. The game continues on. Um, fuck it's fine, eh? It's, just, it's, like, it's confusing for me. What I, I want to know. I don't, I don't really it, care, how? and it's confusing. But it, so imagine what it's like for someone like who's got even less of uh, gives even less fucks about the, the racing game. Well, I think that's the problem. Is you you've, got, you've got sort of people that don't understand the products you know in, involved in in this. They all just see positive swab, and you know they just attribute that to cheating um so the industry has brought that confusion on itself with the way it's reported yeah so that's, that's sort of what i'm saying yeah. It's like yeah, a... yeah i have no i've got no like no issue at all with that that stuff happens and getting a fine and playing on is exactly what should happen and this is the right result um it like the narrative says that zaki was somehow beaten that race and then comes out and runs two Australasian records in winning <laughs> in Brisbane, like got like a complete jet, mm. and somehow got beat in that Sydney race, where it has returned the positive. But um, I think that I think it wouldn't be the worst idea for the industry to to change the narrative a little bit and and sort of make try and make it a little bit clearer for the average punter to understand that it didn't test necessarily positive to. A, you know, a performance-enhancing product because it's pr- product that's used in stables every day of the week. But it can enhance performance on race day, obviously. If it's not feeling pain, it probably run faster. Yeah. It is a great. It is a great one. Fair. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, while we've and, got and sometimes like performance, like overdoing it on the, like to get to get yourself ready to perform isn't isn't a good thing anyway. I think if you've got um, you've got your blatant race day ones, which stomach tubing um, that sometimes people get caught and get off on technicalities, um, and you've got um, you know like you know if there's any systematic stuff like EPO for example that sort of shit, that's all stuff that's blatant. But I think when you've got things like even illicit drugs, I don't think trainers are out there jamming fucking coke up the horse's nose. Like as if they'd be. Know, like sharing that around, 
Um, and things like this, you know, the one that Annabelle got done for. I mean, that's that's stuff that's just like only swabs pos- shows up in swabs if it's administered in a time frame a little bit, you know, sort of later than what it needs to be administered. Like if it's a two-day clear and they give it, you know, one and three-quarter days out and it comes up, well, that's just, you know, like an issue with it's not cheating, it's a mistake. You know, I think something that Moods touched on that we spoke about, Moody ringing into RSN, trainers make mistakes, staff make mistakes. They give this stuff that's in a horse's regular, you know, feed regime on a Tuesday and accidentally give it Wednesday. It's a mistake. It's not cheating. I think that's important. Yeah. Okay. Well uh, said. While we've got Mark Roden on the show, let's talk about Catalan because uh, race eight from Rose Hill there on Saturday, we have a look at the flux. It was around $2.20, $2.30 for pretty much all of the morning, around 10.30 in the morning through to 11.30. It gradually drifted out to $3. Last match price on the fair was $3.40. The race jumped at $3.45. So, the drift was pretty much done by 11.30 and then it basically held or drifted a little bit more between then and jump time. Uh, now, Mark, Rob was not impressed with the horse's parade, I think it's fair to say. No, well, I when it started drifting, I love, like most of us do, I think, betting the drift because it yeah. did look to have a fair bit on this field. Um, I suppose the, the track was a bit wetter than expected, so that was, that was a slight question mark, but... That's not going to explain that dramatic drift hours before the race that you uh, touched on. But um, yeah, because like, like, to, to make that real clear, the information that we're talking about, the market doesn't know about until about eight minutes out. That's 15, right. So 15 Rob, minutes Rob max. Actually, well, Rob knew I was on it. Um, I think he backed it as well because I I tipped it. But um, he rang. You know, he usually rings about you know in, in five to ten minutes before the race. He rang about fifteen minutes before the race to say it looks absolutely shit out. It had, it had broken out um, and gone to pieces after only one and a half laps of the um, ring, and um, the signs were very, very poor indeed. It, I, I was actually, given that, surprised it didn't express right out to, you know, four, five, six dollars, which they sometimes can do. There was, there was still money on the other side to stop it getting past about three fifty. You know, it had got to three hours a couple of hours before the race, um, and that was its new platform. But it got to that 340 range and there was still some resistance. So people, there are idiots like me still wanting to back it. I didn't back it again after Rob's phone call, yeah. but um, there were people who obviously weren't privy to the fact that it wasn't uh, it was going to run length below its best that were still backing it. So whoever was um, pushing the price out would have got plenty out of it, I think. And, and also probably worth noting too that it, it, you know, at a similar time frame, um, that the three horses that finished in the in the placings were supported on the fixed odds at the same time. Same time, yeah. In fact, it... That might have been the catalyst for the um, yeah for the drift from the, from the bookies to push it out. If if they're getting um, money from uh, smart clients for multiple horses around a short price favourite, they're going to put two and two together pretty quickly. And yep. uh, have like you uh, have you had time to run a test on J Max drifters? Like we no. we identified very clearly that J Max on is like J Max profitable as a Full rule. Stop. J-Mac Owens is incredibly profitable, which he capitalised on in race one. And God bless you, that thing that thing firmed up and, and pissed in. <laughs> and uh, we were playing with theirs for the majority of the day, thanks to uh, M. Roden. Oh, I feel like when he's drift, I don't want to be near it. Like, as in, yeah, bet the drift, bet the drift. Yeah, yeah. Certain setups uh, I'm more scared of down here. And I, from, you know, we've been spending most, like, 
let's be honest, probably three, three to four days a week on a Zoom together betting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm starting to watch a lot more interstate stuff. And if, if we're on one of J-Max and it's drifting, I, I hate. Yeah, can I just um, point everyone's attention to race six at Randwick on the Kenzo on Wednesday? The horse that we liked and we were on was um, oh, yeah. Gin, and, Gin and Bitters, who was... Yes. Uh, oh, that, that, that's, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Uh, you know, J-Mac has ridden three winners before that for Chris, for Uncle Chris, maybe more at that point. Um, you well, know, he nearly caught the shaft. And, and, and this one's half, like, steady away under a nice grip out of the barriers and then straight to the fence yeah. uh, and closest to the running rail all the way up the straight yeah. in an area that we all knew and everyone knew because he'd rode to it for the previous five races that that was where you could not be. And it was 250 to 460. Um, yes. But that... Uh, like, completely... Well, i put it this way. I think Gin, Gin and Bitters was, to, to be diplomatic, ridden poorly after drifting. Uh, the ride had nothing to do with Catalan's defeat. Catalan was never travelling. And, and everyone <laughs> knew before the race it was cast. There's $190,000 matched on Catalan. I wonder how much was matched on this thing at the Kenzo. What race was it, Curls? Uh, it was 55. 55,000. I think the key difference is, is that the Catalan drift occurred hours before the race, whereas seemingly the bin and, uh, bin and jitters. <laughs> Jim and jitters <laughs> uh, drifted. Peter's been at school all morning. Well, Curls and I have been roaring home Rambo and... Ustazen. and this has been back at school. I have been back at school. Yeah, shout out to the to the caddy, like big thank you. It was just it, it was pure self interest coming down the stretch. Which which way was fatter? For me, it was Rambo because it was the original bet, and I'm a bit of a Rambo right. man. Yeah, I, I was. But Louis was, was still green, and earlier in the day, it was all about Bryson, who then uh, proceeded to shit the bed, which again maybe just too much sort of. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to fall into that um, quintessential Australian tall poppy sort of guy because, um, you know, Bryson's won a major and, you know, very, very small percentage of people that pick a golf club up are ever going to get to that point. But, geez, he's easy to hate. Mm. And, oh, and I, 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 I like them all. They're all characters. It's like... And it's, watching it's, him it's turning was... into a bit more of like the WWE and it's, yeah. it's something that, like, racing... Well, How much was the US Open worth to the winner? Uh, 2.25. I don't have a clue. If it was a racing... 2.25. I looked it up this morning. Yeah, but they don't they don't ram it down your throat, do they? Yeah. No one about cares. the sport and the contest and the characters. A couple of things from that, from that watching that final round. We've digressed massively here, but... Um, John Rahm's physique, from his knee to his waist... I really enjoy because it gives me hope. He's You'll got know. a shocking rig, eh? He's going to be like that big, like, thick, fat, like, grandpa, isn't he? Oh, terrible. And Bryson having an eight on that par four. Relate, bro. <laughs> <laughs> he hit him sideways there at one point. Yeah. But, uh, Bryson's been good, though, for Rory. Like, he shit it. He shit the bed just as hard. Yeah, that, it was It was great. That element of niggle hasn't... The last element of niggle I can between participants I can think of in racing was when John Sadler spoke his mind in the stewards' room at Mooney Valley one day about what he thought of Wayne Hawks. Yeah, but like I'm sure, I'm sure there are all these people who hate each other in racing, but they it really uh, they rarely go public with it. 
Well, the last time... They, there's so much like feuding and hatred in, in racing because it's oh, a yeah. like, like we said last week it's a giant bubble bath with you don't know who's doing what but someone's Dutch ridering someone and if you're Dutch riding the wrong person then the other person hates that person yeah. and it, and it, it stems and flows and, and in an industry and like I have to watch a lot of it it is some of the dullest content in sport mm. it is there for you on a platter these sick twisted individuals if you if you're watching this show if you're watching racing.com you suffer from the sickness if you got into training or you're betting or you ride horses you are an even bigger sufferer of the sickness it's all the content you could ever need and want and all you have to do is throw a tiny bit of cash at these everyone no one loves cash more than people in the racing industry anyway that's a I'm off on a tangent again. So just to summarise, gin and bitter, <laughs> gin and bitters <laughs> drifted in the last half hour, whereas Catalan drifted three, four hours before the jump. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, well and truly in the pot, well before uh, race time. Okay, thank you for joining us, Mark Roden. Uh, you've got Hawksby tomorrow. You've got Canterbury Wednesday, Kembla Grange Thursday, then Newcastle and Royal Randwick on Saturday. So uh, yeah, a pretty so busy week for the middle of winter. It's a yes, big, big um, week for Mark because it's, it's a quiet week in Victoria, which is where the... Like, my... Yeah. Oh, all right. He just froze. But anyway, continue, Mark. Oh, the best. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is a fairly solid week. Uh, the... Field sizes may suffer. They, they they might be overdoing it with the calendar a bit. But uh, anyway, we'll just play the ball as it lies, as they say. Yeah, plenty, plenty of meetings to cover anyway. All right, beautiful. We'll uh, catch up on Friday for a preview with Mark Sheen of the Randwick meeting. Uh, until then, go well, and we'll get JKC on the line in a sec. All right, all the best. Josh Catley, Gavin Art, welcome to the Deep Dive. How are we? Yeah, very good. Uh, let's... Talk about some Ipswich. Incentivise was the horse that most people want to talk about. It's a little bit difficult trying to line it up at Ipswich because there really hasn't been any 2,500-metre races at Ipswich. There's been one, apparently. One other. One okay. other. Could you, could you articulate, Josh, like what that means and how it's hard, therefore hard to measure? Uh, probably pretty hard for, I don't know, the ins and outs of punny form, but... It's pretty hard to get a gauge on par times if there's only one, one, one sample of a track and distance uh, run before. Same thing happened to think a couple of weeks ago. You'd be able to confirm Curly with uh, the Doombin Cup going back to the 3200 distance. Same thing happened. Not many 3200 races at, at was that at Doom, that was at Doombin, wasn't it? So yeah, it's hard to gauge. Um, you know, you can try you can try do things where. You work out how fast that they run, you know, a furlong in, but you're never going to get a good gauge as to have, having a look at sort of the population of how averages pan out. Um, so yeah, it's it's tricky to assess, um, but it'd be interesting to see because incentivised numbers last in the prior start were were huge on the punting form on the punting form data. Yeah. So what you'll see if you're using the sectional pro form is that there is no adjusted variables. There's no benchmarking that's occurred because there's not enough of the sample size to do so. Which I think sets up really well for the, the future of this horse because they've paid like a million dollars for it. Uh, we backed it and it couldn't run top three in a Toowoomba Maiden. 
Uh, it's got probably what looks like absolutely nothing here at Ipswich. So no one knows. <laughs> and it's going to come to Melbourne or somewhere and it's just going to be like, what do we do here? Mm. It's going to be people measuring the, the margins to come up with numbers. And what do we, we'll probably just know about the race. I'll try and lay it depending. There's two, things, there's two things that I'm comfortable enough in saying coming out of this meeting. It would have won the Ipswich Cup. So you can use that as a guide if you'd like. And what was the Flemington winner on Saturday in the staying race? That the Grays. The Grays. So the Grassy. The Grassy High. The Graves. So there's not. So whatever incentivise beat wouldn't have got within ten lengths of the Graves on Saturday either at Flemington. They wouldn't have. They wouldn't have got within ten lengths of. What it beat wouldn't have got within 10 lengths of whatever one, like the, the staying race at Sandown on Wednesday. Likely. Yeah. Can you can you talk us a bit maybe a bit about the staying ranks of Queensland racing, Kelly? And, yeah, how, and how it feels to, to have a horse like yeah, that's been purchased it's just a, gen- a million that's a dollars that, that you backed heavily at Toowoomba and it couldn't run top three. Like, and sorry, but, also, shouldn't we mention here that this is... These are these are provincial stayers, aren't they? This is a provincial. So this field yeah. was made up of horses that competed in a provincial stayers series heats, you know, around the benchmark seventy grade. Um, so you got like benchmark sixty five and seventy horses running around in heats, and then they have the final. Um, the final is open for other horses to enter. So you had horses like um, Tavion Prince, who has won a Saturday race, but. The depth of our of the Saturday staying talent was evident in the Ipswich Cup, where we had um, Happy Go Plucky win, who doesn't win, but um, he only had So You Win chasing him, who also doesn't win. Another horse that wins one in every ten, like they were complete nonnies battling it out in the Ipswich Cup, and that's the Queensland staying ranks week in week out. Yeah, like t- that Tavion Prince, which you've referenced has yep. had a, an enormous amount of, of attempts and has yep. broken the all-average benchmark uh, twice in its career with a 1 and a 1.8. So, yep. for reference, the, we look. I'll quickly talk about Flemington. So, the average, like, a good a good Flemington run is going to be a figure of 10. So, incentivise can, can measure up to a, to a standard Flemington run. Yeah, so if with Curly's 10 length thing, then that's about 10, yeah. It's also a Seamus Award gelding out of a Iglesia dam, so it doesn't exactly scream stayer, does it? Well, one o'clock's a five. Yeah, that's not a staying distance, 2,000 metres. But if they're talking about Caulfield Cup or something like that. It's an Australian stayer, though. Like... No, I think he's favourite for them. I think he's like. I, I, don't, I, I just hate saying these words out of my own fucking mouth, but he's favourite in the pre-post markets, right? He for what? Is, for, for the Caulfield the Cup. Cups. <laughs> this horse? Yeah. No, this no. Horse. It's definitely... Nah, no, it's definitely not. Nah, nah, nah. No, he half, he's, he's like $10 or something. Didn't, like, didn't Tab or someone tweet like he's into $10 for the Cup or some bullshit? Mate, you shouldn't be uh, for the I'll get a check for you. Cup. It's $26 out there on the Caulfield Cup. Okay, so regardless of what price he is... $51. So what I was going to say was whatever price he is, 
to win those races, he should be to get a run in those races. Yeah. yeah. Well, he'll be oh, flat out getting a run in a Caulfield Cup or a Melbourne Cup. Mate, I reckon he's going to SP about 20s in a Cranbourne Cup or something. Anyway, great narrative, great for racing, great story. And we've wasted back too much to time talking about it. Back to the Toowoomba, you lost. What happened? How? Well, how is this possible? Yep. And then I didn't back at the start after when it won at 20s, but we did get something out of it the previous, its subsequent start when it did win. Um, now, it goes from Steve Trigay to Peter Moody. Like, there's some expectation that Moody's going to improve it. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Congratulations to Steve Trigay. He's the real winner here. He keeps half the horse and sold it, for, sold it at a value of 1.2. Uh, so he just paid off the house. Good on him. Is he he just, that's the same bloke that sold Command and Conquer to Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. which won first start in Hong Kong for David Hayes. It won really well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... He sold two horses for 1.2 in the last eight months or so. So he's going well, well done to him. That's the, that's the story. Not like no Bray's brought it. I mean, Bray's got unlimited. If Bray wants to buy a horse out of this Ipswich Cup meeting, he wants to go and have a look at the Ipswich Cup and buy the third horse. Ooh. This is the only other horse. There's two horses that interest me out of the, out of the meeting apart from incentivise. One was Desert Lord from the all-conquering David Van Dyke stable. God, 50% at um, Ipswich, isn't it? Yeah, something like 24 winners from his last 48 runners last 12 months at Ipswich. DVD. Crazy country out there, Costa, DVD. Um, yeah, we'll just uh, I'd take that question on notice, Jack, regarding the Costa stable. Um, and well, well, done we to our, well done to our marketing intern who tweeted about Costa, who has then settled up six subsequent runners and hasn't run a place. <laughs> <laughs> Progression to the moon. Uh, just, Lord, just before we just re- before we touch on the Ipswich Cup, uh, mentioned Desert Lord. It actually was the only horse to break eleven seconds for its last furlong, like trotting in too. By the he way, didn't touch it. <laughs> he 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 got home in a slick ten point eight four on the punningform.com.au sectional times there. Um, I'm not sure whether this is a fresh horse. This horse. Like, has got some big figures fresh. He's going to the Glasshouse Handicap on his home track at the sunny coast in a fortnight's time, uh, over 1,400. So, you know, we'll likely follow him again if he's black odds because he was ultra impressive. And how, like, thank, thankfully, people were still happy to lay him at 240-ish on the fair. It was delightful. Um, so, well done me for finding the obvious horse on the day. Good on me. <laughs> Um, this Ipswich Cup, like dead set, so you win, loomed up to win like he always does and didn't. I thought the run of the race was Flash R. Now, this is a horse that we I spoke about in the preview show as a horse that I was a little bit interested in backing on the H way at the H way price. This is this is his prep. Dump the rider first up at Doombin back on March in the start of March. Right, over 1,200. Went back to the trials, got his ticket back. Won a listed race on a heavy at 1,400. So that's basically on resumption. 35 days off, fourth over, back, went back to 1,000, ran fourth. Back up to 1,350, ran 10th. Month off, back to 1,000, pissed in. Back up to 1,500, ran fourth behind Chalet's. Oh, that... Uh, a horse of um, Charlie's. Charlie's. 
and then run and then up to straight up to 21.50 and runs third beaten half a length. Now, this horse is trained by Mitchell Fry. No knock on Mitchell, but you haven't heard of him. Um, if Bray wants to throw a couple of million dollars around um, buying Queensland stays, he might as well add this one to the to the collection. I reckon. Um, this horse has got a decent race in it in Queensland, um, but I don't know. Just be, maybe with the gaps between runs and stuff, maybe it's got a few little issues. But um, thought it was, I thought it was the run of the race in the in the Ippy Cup, and one of sort of three horses that I'd be interested in following out of the meeting. The rest I could not care if they never race again. Okay. Well, speaking of horses you don't care about, girls, there was also a meeting at Gympie on Saturday, and uh, Josh. Josh, there was a market mover of the day at Gympie. Yeah, it looks like uh, looking at some of the data that I collect, it was the number one mover of the day, tactical manoeuvre, race six, number six, $8 they bet at 9am into $3.10. And the punters, they just can't eat overs, came second. (laughs) So it wasn't like, was it Rockhampton where the thing they backed just went to the front, left alone and just kept going? No. Yeah, we we saw it, saw a couple of those, and then we oh saw one at God. we saw one at Darwin that got beat by Shataka of the oh, the tar. We were on that, weren't we? <laughs> it was a it was a, it was a sick beat for the, the data. That was betters. my fault. I, was it or you? One of us crowed that. You. Yeah, it's me. Yeah. Yeah. So if anyone <laughs> wants to go watch some lovely tar racing, uh, go pull up the replay of Darwin uh, race one. And just watch how far it's got. You know, it's got incentivised links at, at the uh, at the two hundred. It's about no, five in front. I think entitled <laughs> and, to crow there. Yeah, this thing just jumps out of the ground, eats up the tar. Just um just on Gimpy, uh, it was its first tab meeting forever, same as what Nanango was two weeks ago. No, um, no. And same as Nanango, I hope it's their last. <laughs> <laughs> How do they? How do we think that they prepared the track for the big day? Well, it's pretty clear, Gimpy. I've done the lanes data for punning <laughs> They actually had the heavy roller. They've got it off the cricket pitch and they rolled four wide at Gimpy at just that one lane. Yeah. Just for it's the locals. Imagine know, pushing the heavy is... roller through that sandpit like oh. for two k's. <laughs> Sight to behold. Um. Anyway, I mean, that's good for racing in Queensland. It's great. It's a great narrative. Right under the club. Looking forward to the Bundaberg Cup meeting being a tab meeting coming up. Okay, stay, stay tuned for that. I'm not sure if that was serious or a joke, but we'll stay tuned for that, girls. How would you know? How would you know, Peter? I, I just don't know. I'm not paying attention anyway. If I said to you this time last week, hey, we're going to be watching a heap of Gimpy on Saturday, you would have been like, well, what's Gimpy? <laughs> Uh, it be like, it's an actual like town in Queensland. They race there. The Gimpy it's, a it's, it's, a, it's a nice town. I've been. Josh is also like a Queenslander, really. Oh, step through. No, I just spent a little bit of time in Queensland for a few years, and you know, Gimpy. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not bagging the place. Just a lot of people wouldn't have heard of it. I should also mention, Gimpy has had. The biggest market mover and also the biggest market drifter on the day, which oh, is what the drifter race, race four, number eight, spirits first, unwanted. Lost the rider at nine a.m. It was two dollars out to six dollars, which is eight. So they just know they. You can somewhat say that they know it, Gimpy. 
that's where the, the big punters get involved. Uh, speaking Who's of markets? speaking Why? of some betting moves, uh, I have to touch on two of the runners that I backed, which both finished unplaced. But it was interesting to note that someone was laying a few horses in WA over the last couple of days for significant amounts of cash late on the fair. Uh, Moshard in race nine at Belmont, there was roughly 60K or a liability of 60K there in the last minute or so at around $16. He could take 5,000 if he wanted, uh, four and a half, I think it was. It started at 15, went all the way out to 17. And then again in the last at Kalgoorlie yesterday, Gilaz Du Raw was being stood for $40,000 by one punter out there. Now, obviously, a lot of this isn't being matched, but. I wonder if uh, we've got a person or syndicate entertaining a few of these map bets or if it's just some random who's doing it for fun. I don't know. I'll just sort of throw what it out there. What does that do to your uh, like mental health betting-wise when you see that? Uh, well, usually I'm happy to bet the drift. When there's that amount of cash on and they're both horses based out of Kalgoorlie, uh, I tend to take notice of that. If you're not quivering, you are like we all think that Peter's easily the sickest like cybonic person on our team, but you are beyond like what we like believe how sick that you are. If you're not quivering when you see forty k there, well, I in both cases I actually started backing the other horse that I had had backed in the race for more, and and luckily in the case of Kalgoorlie, the other horse won. Uh, that did not happen in the last at Belmont because the horse that we backed was leading and was given a Valium. But um, <laughs> anyway, I, look, I just want to throw it out there. If you're noticing anything funky happening on the fair, particularly in WA for my interest, screenshot it, send it through. Uh, I might not notice everything. I just think it's worth pointing out and I add it to the comments for in your punning form notes. Pistol, I sent one to you yesterday. Um, I backed a winner at uh, Kalgoorlie. Um, hip anyway. wiggle it was, not head wiggle. Hip, head wiggle. <laughs> was it called head wiggle or hip wiggle? Anyway, it's hip, but just fell in. So I've uh, so it's a it, it has a tendency to do that. So I've backed it pre off, and then through, and then I've put a three hundred dollar three. I laid it, wanted to lay it for three hundred, put three hundred in a dollar twelve, hit the front at the two hundred and won, and never got matched. And and won by what? It, like it won by a. a you were taking a dollar twelve. I, yeah, I, yeah. I think it's the there's no like, Western Australian gambling is a disgrace. That the how there's no minimum bet laws, which is purely serves their own self interest. I, I do not understand it, but because there's not, a lot of people don't watch it. Mm. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. Would that be yep. the most likely cause there, Peter? Oh, look, I, it has to be because the reduction in Betfair's commission has made no difference from what I can tell. It would be interesting to know, know if uh, Betfair's actually, you know, if any of the guys there are actually noticing any significant changes since they've dropped the commission rate by a couple of percent. But clearly the fact that you can't get on for any significant amounts of cash until basically the last three minutes of betting on most races is what's causing a distinct lack of wagering interest in the sport. It's, it's utterly like it's it's not disgrace. It's, it's all these words, but it's, it's very very dumb on the on their behalf. So yeah. if Curly sends something early or Roden does, you you we, we might be restricted and like, might not be able to get a bet on. But you can get someone else to get a bet on. Well, you can get the limit anyway. Yeah. 
Well, no, like a day not, early, say. Not until July 1. Yeah, early, yeah. If yeah. you're about to come and join the, us in the future, yeah. and then surely Racing New South Wales will not be far behind. So then, any time a price goes up in the three major states in Australia, I can bet in my own name with confidence and and not 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 stressed about actually just getting the thing on in western australia they could they could knock me back like they're knocking me back on a on a friday night to back a horse on saturday they could knock me back 2 minutes before the race jumped mm. yeah mm. so if 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 i am able to be there's a there's a there's a chance that my bet's going to be rejected 2 minutes before the, the off why would i waste my time studying the, the form and figuring out what I want to back. What a great segue to let Jack go off about Roroa. What's Sorry. the name of the, what's the name of the organization Jack that runs racing over there? Roroa. <laughs> <laughs> it Rora. must also be noted that obviously they were trying to sell the WATAB there for a few years and that obviously came off the table. So uh, there was uh, I guess I wouldn't call it an excuse. There was a reason for there not being any MBLs being introduced for a couple of years because yeah. obviously there was some prospective buyers and it wasn't really their concern. Well, that's off the table. It's been off the table. Um, when was it? At the end of 2019? Was it? I can't well, remember we, what year it was. Well, we spoke about this for years, you and yeah. I. And it's been going for years. There was a reason sort of thing. And, and so the only way we handle it, or I don't, I don't do anything other than whatever Pete says, but... 98% of his business is very late and you just bet what you can on Betfair. And you've got to be quick because he moves it. They all Anyone else with ability there moves it because there's not much there compared to other markets. And then um, you just sort of... I just don't get it. It's like it, it'll help them the most. Yeah. Well, there is a, uh, a paper in the State Library from 2007, 2008 regarding the turnover of money through the TAB and WA, and it recommended cutting taxes to punters to try and stimulate growth and turnover in the state. That's 15, almost, say, 15 years ago. Nothing was done about it. It's wonderful, but it's still in the State Library collecting dust. And uh, I was both nerdy and bored enough to actually read through it, and I might do it again. I'm convinced that the, the MBLs are having a really positive impact in the Victorian betting market. Yeah, yeah, it's take, it's to see what, what the numbers shape. come out at, but like anyone else like me who's sick enough or has to watch the markets, look, they, they move so much now. It adds such a, a like a dynamic aspect to it. There's just another time point in the betting. It feels like now. Well, the, the deep dive audience would would like shrink, but it'd be really really like converted sickos like us. We could just sit sit here and talk for an hour and a half about each race at Flemington. And start with the betting moves, and that'd be five or seven minutes of content. Like, well, it started like this, then they came for this thing, then that thing drifted. Heaps of big goes miss, heaps of big go. Like, it's just, it's just fascinating. Yeah. So they were bang on Saturday, though, a couple with a couple, should mention, with uh, interesting drift on Kurabui, which was oh. uh, uh, sort of well, I don't know if that was a drift. Mine. I thought about this. I think Those, it was getting might back have to been the... the firmer for the, uh, the good horse. Yeah, I think, well, that was actually, funny enough, that was probably the biggest firm at a metro or close to the biggest firm at a metro track on Saturday. Uh, it was seven fifty into $4, and, yeah, they, they knew. Whether or not that was just purely the, uh, you know, the the import horse for starter sort of stuff or people actually knew. Um, it was interesting. And Kurabui 
Kubrick, no doubt, had to jump up in grade, and it did well, I thought, considering the yeah, well, it was cast. Be, so they could have been a map. J- Josh is being humble. We spoke before the, the day started, and he had all these reasons why Kiribiri, uh might be soft and, and, and is, is half a risk, and you were right. Uh, I thought the ride by Will Price was very, very good on a big stage for a big, like for a big, big stable. If you're a jockey, mm. um, he nailed it, and uh, they nailed it. Like how? I don't, I don't know how they do it, but well, I'm never going to be able to find that horse at this point in my life. There was I couldn't see a trial of, of like anything to firm a big view off and I don't have the sort of data whatever they're using because they, they nail and I said this to you before it started if there's money for this horse it's just not going to be a bet race because too often more often than not if the market steams at import first up at, at Bendigo Flemington in a Cox Plate they are right <laughs> the Cox Plate especially we've seen that a couple of times well even when they're wrong they're right like Anthony Van Dyke yeah Caulfield Cup. It's that was a should... complete steamer. And if Hugh Bowman didn't go via the Caulfield station and swap his marquee card, it would have pissed him. <laughs> I think we should also mention this De Graves actually has a import that went up to Curly Country, uh Delphi form. Uh finished uh fourth behind it in a in an Irish race at Leopardstown uh last year. So that'd be interesting to follow where the Delphi goes next. Um, Did it have armory form? Yeah, it did have the armory form as well. So there's links Delphi, there. Delphi was the one that came up here that was a front-running stayer and um, sat it's three right. deep on a walking tempo. Absolute joke. It was a disgusting ride. How good me- do you think the Graves is, Josh? Uh, it's untapped. Um, when, when you look at the data, it's pretty uh, strong, like solid. It's, it's got the super sire Camelot, which we love. They're, they're flying. Don't know what the what the data exactly is on it, but uh, it's no doubt going to be definitely yeah. I, I don't know what the plan is, but I guess cups cups are on the cards. But yeah, like like Curly was saying, if you're getting I don't know what you're getting with De, what price you're getting with Degraves, but if incentivised and Degraves are close in price, it's a bit of a joke because you, you'd assume that that's Got much of a, a leg up on it. Um, There's no way that they'll ever be near the same price. Or anything. Like, well, funnily enough, the, gra- the Graves is a hundred to one for the cup, and and uh, incentivized fifty one. And in the Caulfield Cup, the Graves is thirty four dollars. Incentivized is twenty to one. And on the fourth line of betting behind Mount Popper, Al Ars Al and Explosive Jack. Put in my head. So, yeah, there's some angles <laughs> angles there for sure. Definitely some angles. Uh, speaking of futures markets, shall we segue into some Q&A? Because, Curly, yes. the fucking Everest talk has started. Would you consider a futures package on the service? Quote, unquote. Um, did I write that? Yep. <laughs> I did too. Hey, um, like he's saying that he wrote it in, Peter. Yep. Yeah, I sent that viewer question in off... I actually put it under an alias. It wasn't actually me. It was Curly A West. <laughs> Curly A West or East. Yeah. <laughs> I am off my fucking Eddie. Um, 
futures. Uh, well, look, I tried, a, I tried a futures bet this year. I backed Ranch Hand in the JJ. Still fucking running. Still coming. Hasn't fucking weighed in yet. Um, <laughs> look, to be honest, I'm that tied up in the day-to-day of the grind of the quality of horses that I've got to deal with in Queensland. It's not often I see one that I can recommend for a futures bet. Um, so I can't help. But um, I know that uh, in the conversations that we've had, that you blokes see, who see these southern horses, uh, you know, southern state horses, good horses, good horses. And I think you had a bit of success with um, Ole Kirk, maybe, or something. Was that one that you found early that won a couple of nice races? Yeah, Pathways we, we and had the Crystal success, Ball. And... The success was driven by Peter and I had to do a, a show for Betfair, which is ridiculous because they never put any money into their markets. Like... They put fifty thousand over a bar, but they wouldn't put fifty thousand into a market they were trying to promote. Um, they put five thousand in, um, but we had to do the, the work. So we started to like do the work, and then you started to see angles, and then you start to research. But it is research, and it's different types of research to normal. You're then trying to source information from people like, is this where you're trying to go with this horse? Blah blah blah. Mm. And what about the impact of um, of the nuclear radiation testing that um, that you know, famous overseas trainer Aidan O'Brien, I think his name is mentioned about not bringing out horses here because they have to go through a fucking nuclear scan to see if their bones are strong enough. Does that throw a complete different angle into the Caulfield Melbourne Cup? I think it makes them so much more exciting as betting propositions and like races that we can like really work on and figure yeah. out and bet into and then potentially there'll be more turnover for the industry. I don't know. Better but, take the $21 incentivize now than... Yeah, or you, or if it's just like normal, just wait and see which which international they steam late and just jump on. Yeah. Like, if you just did no form, didn't listen to any of the narrative and just said, oh, shit, it's Van Dyke time in the Caulfield Cup and you steamed into that, you just missed, probably should have won. Mm. You steamed into uh, Sir Dragon A in the Cox Plate, you're so far in front, it's not funny. You still haven't done any form and you've only watched horses for, like, three and a half minutes. Don't forget and then to in the Melbourne G. Cup, you just said, oh, shit, it's Tiger Moth time. You put half of your, your, your profit into that horse and you thought you were going to win the whole way and you just missed. So you've had three huge bets for no work and you've looked like you're going to win every single time. So you've had a great ride. Oh, geez, I wish I, I probably should have done that for the Ipswich Cup and instead of listening to the narrative <laughs> from Peter Moody and Trent Bustedon who both gave their horses good pushes and ran 10th of 12 and 12th of 12 respectively. <laughs> Oh, I remember Bustin's warnable one. <laughs> anyway, so I'm not doing futures, but you bikes can. That'd be great. I'll just follow you. Thank you. Okay. Very Thank good. Thank you for your question. Uh, from Phil, he's got two questions. Filthy. Uh, how do you rate horses racing second up in general? I often find it the hardest part of punting. You can be so wrong when pricing your own markets with horses second up. All right, Dickens, I'll start with you. Do you have any second up theories? Uh, Anything you well, look for. Josh would probably speak to this deeper, and Rodan would go on about this too. Yep. Be careful if they come out of a, a big tempo race or they run a peak first up. Uh, watch for patterns with, with the, the stables um, and anticipate. Like, I, I, I don't want to sound too sort of rude here, but sometimes I think they're so dumb that even if the horse is ready to fire second up, but it's drawn barrier 12, yeah, they'll ride it cold, even though the horse was there. Like, the horse doesn't know it's not trying. 
but they're not, and then they'll try and win third up. So I think I think if you're aiming at finding horses that are, that are second, first, second, third up, it's a, it's a good starting point. First up's tricky. You need, a bit, you need a lot of work with your trials, which in Victoria is almost impossible. Um, it costs a lot of money to set yourself up to to even be able to watch them, which is now in jeopardy. But I believe that they're going to do the right thing because there's good people in there at .com who understand it and, and are working at it. But it is still a joke, like, and how hard it is to watch trials. So I, I think starting in Victoria, if you are in Victoria, second, third up, so you go. Josh, your thoughts on second up? Uh, yeah, very. I, I agree with Filthy Phil's question. It's tricky, very tricky to assess. You know, they come off a fast run. You want to see that happen though, you know, because it it brings on their fitness a lot with the you know that fast pace run. But you also got to be careful if they're going to be flat, if they run a peak, if it's just a fast pace race and they've you know just finished, battled on fine and not run some enormous figure and have you know two three weeks between runs. Yeah, sweet. Um, but yeah, it's all to do with you know is it the right you know it's a lot of things that for me you know right distance. Um, is there a jockey change, things like that, you know, right right track conditions on the day um, and what sort of placement they're in, if they're in, you know, handicap race, how well they're in, set weights, et cetera. Um, but, uh, yeah, I sort of, yeah, there's certain trainers. I also look at horse preferential, you know, have they won in the past second up? Um, horse that just comes to mind is it wasn't second up on Saturday, but thinking – Think and fly. Um, oh, it it ran super, and it had a, a good second up figure last prep, up to the mile. So it was the fourteen sixteen hundred. You know that's what you want to see. It's just like don't don't force them second up, or you know it's don't force them ever. But you know don't force them second up. It's got to have the right setup. Um, this horse uh, was also a track and distance horse. It had run its peak before at Flemington the mile. On negative ten point nine from memory there at negative ten point one. Uh, in fairness, it had the graves to put, you know, make it run that figure again. But it, it is that second up horse, like Digo said, had the goat on. Um, was a super ride, and you know, it it ran, it ran its peak number in that second up. So you, you want to find those horses that love, you know, second up or, yeah, and, or and second get... second or third up sometimes. To get a little bit deeper, like with what Josh is saying, if Thinking Fly was second up and stayed at fourteen hundred, Josh should Josh should go. Well, I'm not sure if they're tr- look, it's ready yet. They yeah. might have been saying yeah. like a setback. So he, he's looking for that that second up profile, but out to its what, what it's uh, it's already shown over his career is his preferred trip, yeah. you know. And then you might see other stables where it's like it's like uh, Will Price, Will Price, Ben Mellon third up. Well, that, that's that's the trainer saying I'm trying. I think my horse is uh, his best chance of winning this prep is is today. I'm always trying. They're always trying. And I always just for something just to add to the commentary on second up horses. I really still like the Lambourne Pearl of first up winners are potent. It's very simple, yep. but especially if they go from, you know, provincial into a metro or go up in grade or something like that. Yeah, I think that's there is like in this, right? You'll hear you'll hear information all the time like it's hard to go from winning a maiden. It's hard to go into town. When you hear stuff like that, it's often from a like a complete nonny and almost definitely from a losing punter. It's a great opportunity that. Mm. 
if the collective is saying something that just just like what why is it harder because you've you've won one from two starts in your life or you've won one from one and now i'm going to penalize you because you're going up in grade versus these horses that have had 16 or 17 or, or eight opportunities like don't just list like when the when the crowd's saying something in racing it's often smart to think of hang on can i go the other way here because i'm going to get a better price yeah, couple of things in couple of things in Queensland because that's where I look. I don't think um, a lot of people say, "Oh, it's hard to win next start after winning the maiden." Stat shows that maidens to a one are very winnable, where maiden to a benchmark race is harder. And uh, also, might have something to do with training ability here. But horses that are second up after running well off two hundred plus days off is always one that I look a lot deeper into because they can dash well fresh. And then have that, um, you know, that especially after a long spell. So I'm talking, you know, like closer to 12 months, more than a lot more than 200 days, where they can dash well fresh, and then, um, you know, sort of regress a little bit or run, don't improve second up. Okay, I like it. Uh, Phil's should just should just mention a quick quick one there. There was actually I just managed to crunch some data. Whilst we were talking about that point, and there was actually three three runners at Ipswich on Saturday who were second up, who all had, uh, I believe, a second up win, uh, and they were uh, race four at Wits End, race eight Snitch, and race nine Lilymore. So if you're going off that uh, that profile, they are all, you know, won at nice odds, especially at Wits End. Uh, so yeah, that's probably one to look out was for. Was Lily Moore the thing that Willow like was against that he sort of like had a little sit on? Mm, mm. Mm. Oh, Chomper's got a bit tired. There's also that wouldn't have been the only three that raced there that were second up. Second no, up, they had one second right. up previously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and and one on Saturday. There was a few. There was a decent sample of them, but they were the yeah. ones that actually won. So you know, they had a they had a nice profile. Okay. Uh, there was a second part to Phil's, well, it was a different question, but he had uh, a second question. What are your two to three main factors on the day that will make you change your punting market? He said, every time I change my market, I get it wrong. So I prefer to stick to my prices once I'm on course. So are there any factors that might arise that will cause you to change your rated prices during the day? Um, suppose track and weather is the obvious. Who do you want to start? Well, who's going? You go first, Shane. Um, track, well, weather, I suppose, because of what the weather will impact the track. So uh, that's the same thing. I think it's the same thing. Well, not. I suppose not. I suppose weather number one, and then track. But um, but to change yeah, that's your not price. Always, but that. Yeah, so weather affects the track, which changes the price. So this thing's going to lead the fence, and it's got a three-kilo apprentice on who knows nothing but lead the fence with this horse, and the fence is inferior three lengths. And I'm going to back that apprentice to stay on the fence and lose yeah, three I, lengths. I think that there's not three factors. There's, there's one and a half. It's, it's, it's like exactly what Shane's spoken about. I just call that the pattern. The pattern can be influenced by anything. Like lots of things, not just weather, but mainly weather, rain or wind, and and just stinky market moves one way or the other, like the other half, the other one. 
I and they won't so much affect my price. So I had no idea about the graves on Saturday, so I just made it about seven seven bucks. It was seven fifty nine AM. I made it seven dollars just to be just under. But I'm not then gonna make it the market again when it when it hemorrhages. I'm just gonna turn that race off, essentially. Okay. Josh, anything for yourself? Uh yeah, I try to play with track I, I try to keep a quantified approach and you know, I've got to the level there that I've that I wanted with that sort of stuff during the day, but I would love to see some sort of track pattern um figures come into my into my work. Um I do think of it you know, I do just put in the subjective stuff at the moment and just, you know, overlay um, the, the map and how the track's been playing on the day, um, especially if it plays different to how that track usually plays more so. It's just playing out of pattern for that that track. That's more more so for me. You know, if, if I'm at, um, you know, the valley and it's playing leaderish, I'm not going to I'm not going to amplify those numbers because I think that's double dipping on what's already, you know, encompassed in my numbers in the in the track. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if you could quantify that it's it's more leaderish than the Moody Valley is leaderish, then, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you could take another length or two off off back markers and just completely pen them. You'll probably be falling in line with the market um, before the market gets there, too. So, you know, it's all about beating SP at the end of the day. Um, to get your edge. Yeah. I tend to not change my prices at all once they're locked in, unless, as Josh pointed out, there's a change to what I expect will happen track-wise, which doesn't happen very often in Perth, and or if there's a significant change in the mounting yard from last start to this start. They're the only two times um, I'll oh, change yeah. something. Well, I should have said... I thought he was just saying, like... Yeah, well, the manning yard's part of our price. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not changing my price if something parades, you know, a little bit better. Like I'm only changing my price on the day if something's a distinct change from last start. Um, mm. Because typically, I, I expect it, most of the time. Say we saw it there at Belmont on Saturday. The narrative was that it was on speed. It wasn't on speed. Like it actually played very fair. Um, but because that narrative was coming through, I'm not going to change anything in my prices because. The market, the media, people on course, the trainers and jockeys have already done that for me. Yeah. So it's just a waste of my time because I'm just following trends that other people have already seen, uh, which I basically view as being irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, my, you, I really want to avoid backing horses that are going to be in positions that are not winning ones throughout that day. So I try to manipulate the prices through the, through the map scores like you know lengths yeah but if i can't if i still land on the horse that i just think's not suited it's, it's then just going to be about that edge so we talked we spoke about last week or on the previous show about i sort of like to have just a little bit more than five percent to to pull the trigger on a bet that's going to then need to be sort of like a 10 to 15 percent so like we had livingston falls yesterday at bendigo i had it like a dollar 40 so if it was mad leaders i still would have taken dollar 80 and if he had followed Just Folk, he probably would have won. So, like, who cares? Like, yeah. it doesn't mean, like, you don't back them, but you need to have a really, like, thought out. And the reason you need to, well, I think, is because they're going to lose. You're going to lose more than you win. just need to win more than you lose cash-wise. But you're going to lose more. Like, outcomes are going to go against you a lot. So you just need to have sound thinking and reason 
to handle a head no ass that follows the defeats. Yeah. Which is like, I, I didn't watch Livingston Falls live. I was having a kick with my son. And I was texting you boys, didn't I? Say, like, did he fuck it? Because I was worried he might fuck it. With Joni, because of the math. Head no ass. Head no ass. It's very good. Okay. Awesome. Uh, cover the golf again, Peter? Yeah, one, once more, just for, for those who missed it. If you tuned in late, if you're late to the broadcast, if you decide to skip ahead using the little numbers that I provide, I spend 20 minutes of my time putting in those timestamps so you people can skip over shit you don't want to listen to. You should all be thanking me, really. Anyway, the irony, of course, is that everyone's already turned off by this point, so they can't hear me complaining about the stuff they've already turned off about. The cyborg. Ugh. Week ahead. What have we got? Um, there's 10 races at Belmont there on Wednesday and it apparently <laughs> typical classic Perth. The media has said, pointed out it's the wettest day on Sunday that they've ever had or some shit like that. So it's going to be 10 races on a wet track at Belmont. Can't wait to drive my head through a plain glass window. <laughs> anyway, what, what have you guys Judith got? Lucy. Well, I'm telling you, I'm going to uh, make sh- just make sure you get a message to Pikey too before Wednesday oh, because I, um, I didn't mention the ride on Excellent Dream, but holy shit! I mean, there was a change of tactics for two horses in that race to go forward and try and lead, and none of them settled in the first three and run. Right. Talk about a small sample size, um, and still rides better than most professional jockeys. He's only striking at sixteen percent this month. He's been very much below par since he returned Wake to up, WA. Yeah. He's lost all ability to lead as well. Any any ability he he picked up to lead on horses over here. I don't know if he was just riding better stock or bigger fields, so he was just riding in a more natural tempo. The but... thing that scares me here is he's starting to justify a little bit of Jack's critique. You're you're bagging him, and now I'm getting thrown under again. I'll lift your game. Like, if you're not striking above 20% every week, Pocky, like, everyone backs you at fucking Perth, lift. <laughs> the country nothing, waits on you. The country nothing, of WA. Nothing annoys me worse than whenever I'm one of pistols and Pocky knocks us off because I don't you, back you. you, have, you like, have you coached one of your sons or daughters like sports teams? No, I refuse. I can't. I'd love to hear your three-quarter talk. <laughs> yeah, just fucking you know the Fucking, fucking, fucking. fucking. Nah, anyway, that's... Uh, that's He's bashed here, the, the, the Adelaide, anyway. I will not be having any bets in Bel- at Belmont on Wednesday unless Pistol sends one in the last, which I will be fucking doubling down on. <laughs> again, yesterday at Kalgoorlie, oh. in the last, Pistol produces a winner at some ridiculous price top tote of 8.20 or some bullshit. Like, it was 5.30 the fair. And meanwhile, mm. fucking Jay Dickens, speaking of fucking bubble baths and bathwater... Missed the bet because he was bathing his daughter. <laughs> In a bubble bath. Yeah, there was no Dutch ruddering. No. Um, but, Queensland, um, Queensland this week. Can we just... I just want to get some clarity on the parenting advice from S. Curlio. Yep. You're, you're dealing with something that I know you're not comfortable with. How do you do it and how do you handle it as a parent? What? The bum bag. Oh, my youngest son's uh, half Esho. <laughs> He's got a bum bag. Half Esho. It's okay. He's, he's just going through a stage. He'll grow out of it. He'll grow out. <laughs> Have you got a bum bag too, though? No, but bum bags for that age group, like he's tw- 10, that sort of 
age group. Like, that's he's like a trend. Hey? He's big. Yeah, he's going to be a unit, I think. Um, anyway. I'm you lost. take the bum bag off and just swing it at you? When you... No, no, he's right. He's, he's, he's okay. He'll be right. It's just a little thing they go through, these little fads that these kids go through. Like, their, idol, their YouTube idols wears a bum bag, so they wear a bum bag. It'll... It'll blow over, uh, I hope. Um, I'm betting at Doom on Wednesday, by the way. Um, Sorry. I'm, con- I'm, continuing to, um, I'm continuing to test the data in northern New South Wales, so Lismore's tomorrow, but won't be sending any bets. Continuing to crunching the data in north Queensland and central Queensland because there's a little bit of a whisper going around that a few baggies, mail baggies, people <laughs> from the mail baggies. Adlai's. Are going to Rockhampton Cup on um, July 9 and 10, so stay tuned. Wow. So there's Townsville and Rockhampton Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, I'll be reporting live from Gatton for the Gatton Cup. Wow. At the same time, we have Eagle Farm, the final group one of the fucking season. And thankfully for all the breeders out there, their last opportunity to get black tight with the group one Tats Tiara for fillies and mares. So good luck to everyone trying to get that black type. <laughs> Um, there's also racing from the Gold Coast on Saturday as well. So we've got a busy, busy Saturday. Very busy Saturday. Is there Saturday. any, like, weird third-tier meets in Queensland this week on the Saturday? No Gimpy, no Nanango. Well, there is Roma, Mariba, Mount Isa, Gladstone, right, he's Alpha. He's all over it. On Zoom, he's like, hey, hey, knackers, yeah, get over to that course, would you? Just have four out of you. And then when you're done there, yeah, you can have a little bit of it. Yeah, knackers. Like, it's just Queensland like, at its prime. If it, He's been on everything and everywhere. And now that... I did, I did have a bet at the non-tabs at Warwick on Saturday, yes. Speaking of betting everywhere and everything, I missed Cam Dean's unders in the GWS game at, like, the 160 or whatever. But I noticed the overs at 142 because it was two unit, which is a huge bet for him. So I triple pressed it. God bless him. God bless the AFL. Oh, Very God. quiet weekend in uh, Victoria. Have I done that already? I no, haven't. you haven't, but you've got Pakenham, Cranbourne, Moe, Ballarat. Probably, there's no betting at Wangaratta. Did the prices as yuck. Maybe one at Pakenham. There's a horse we backed, which few have asked about, but there's also a sneaky, like a really nice trialer in there for an A-grade rider. Same Ooh. race. Tricky. Wow, we. Uh, Cranbourne, we'll be betting, and if they let us on track, you get mounting up mail. Uh, and then Caulfield Saturday, but it's like we spent 75 units this week. I suspect we're going to spend about 35 this week to 40. Wonderful. That's been the deep dive. Thank you, Josh, for joining. Luckily, we've got these rundowns going, eh? Two weeks into the rundown, that's probably the most unorganised (laughs) drivel sesh we've had. Fuck. Bye for now. Bye, Patrick.